This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. Yeah, I am Simon Rose. He is Steve Kaplan. And as long as I can keep remembering those, we'll keep doing these. But the day will come when I go, um, I'm sure. I'll remind you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's assuming you can remember. Yes. Well, maybe we should wear name badges. That would be very useful. It yes. Would. Yes. Yeah. Get it written down somewhere. Yes. Indeed. Okay. So what are you going to tell us about today? Well, what I'm thinking about Nikon. Nikon. Nikon have announced they, they are going to... They do still exist, very much so, yes. I don't know, fashion camera, one of theirs. Well, they now make less old-fashioned cameras. Oh. And they are going to stop making digital SLRs, which is um, quite a big deal, because they made their first one way back in 1959. 1959? So uh, I, I had an SLR, but it wasn't a digital one. No, it wasn't digital, but it was an SLR. That was there. Oh, was I see. Sorry. So, in yeah. SLR was 1959. I was going to yeah. say it seemed a bit advanced, a digital one yeah. back then. Right. Okay. So, just to explain, SLR. Oh, is, I know what it stands for. Can I allowed well, to say? If not, go I don't on, know, you, you know, say it. Single lens reflex. Absolutely. So, before SLRs, uh, if when you looked through a camera, you had a separate viewfinder, hmm. which was basically just a, a lens that showed you approximately the view that your yes. camera would see, but not exactly. Yes. What SLR did was they had a, a mirror and a prism. So when you looked through the viewfinder, it actually looked through the lens itself. And when yes. you press the shutter, the mirror flips out of the way. So the, the prism can then project the light mm. onto the film. So it's very, very clever. Uh, but uh, these days, uh, cameras are very much have electronic viewfinders. So you're not looking through the lens, but mm. you're seeing an electronic version of what the lens sees, either through a little viewfinder or just on a bigger rear-mounted display. Mm. And uh, it's just an end of an era. I think it's worth mentioning. SLRs yeah. were absolutely revolutionary when they appeared. Does it mean everyone will follow suit? I'm sure I'm not the only person, by the way, that find looking through a, a viewfinder window is easier, especially in very sunny um well, that's certainly than actually so, looking at a, a screen. Yeah, so most, uh, if not all, uh, digital SLRs now, or digital cameras, uh, they have they have both. So you can yes. either see a screen on the back. Uh, but the screen on the back is, is great for checking images after you've taken them. Yes, but not quite so good if you're wanting to be really precise when you are taking it. No, exactly. Exactly. And so will everybody else follow Nikon's lead? Yes, it looks like it. Sony, I think, have already stopped making... Um, uh, SLRs. Uh, Canon are about to make, uh, they stopped developing them, they said, but are still selling them. So it is. It I'd, is the I'd still have my non digital SLR if the catch on it hadn't broken. And you would send your film off to boots Absolutely. to be developed. Well, I didn't in the weeks. end. I went to one of those sort of proper labs in in um, in the west end which gave yeah. me much better photographs yes i yes. can't remember what it was called now joe's or fred's or yeah. something i remember but it was joe's basement that was it yes, you probably I recommended i go there i almost certainly did but yes. then you, you take a roll of 36 pictures of which maybe three or four are actually usable and the rest uh are just junk true enough true mm. enough but still 
They smelt so nice when you got them back. Digital <laughs> pixels <laughs> don't do. have a decent smell. That's they obviously do. going to be the next development. Nikon are going to announce next week. We're going to we're artificial going to, digital smells. pictures that smell. Yes. yes. Uh, oh, wonderful, wonderful. So where now? Well, now up into the sky for Project Skyway, which is the world's longest drone highway, which is based in Reading and reaches out to Oxford and Cambridge and Milton Keynes. Mm. And it's essentially a plane-free space that is dedicated to, to drones flying, uh, flying around. Oh. So they don't have to file flight plans and uh, to avoid low-flying aircraft and things. So mm. Quite a clever idea. Um, it'll initially be used for, for surveying infrastructure, like railways and, and that kind of thing. So just right. checking that everything's where it should be and in the state it should be. But of course, once delivery drones really pick up, and they are, as we discussed on this show, picking up quite rapidly, then this will be a way of zipping things around much more quickly. Picking up and dropping off, indeed. Yes. Up, and indeed, well, gently, gently floating yes. back rather yes. than dropping um, off. Okay, so there's this new drone highway. Does it have lanes? Because I'm assuming not all drones go at the same speed. That's a good question. Um, they have sensors, so they'll be able to see if another drone is in its way. Oh, okay. So maybe we'll zip past each other. Maybe we'll be seeing drone traffic jams up in the air. Well, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Smart, smart motorways where, you, where you, there's nowhere to pull off to. Exactly. To have a, to have a quick kip or exactly. a fag break. Or oh, no, you shouldn't do that. When I did my uh, my first of my two speed awareness courses, I am now so aware of speed, it's almost hard <laughs> yes. to believe. Yes. Uh, and I was told that if you ever pull up on the motorway, on the motorway hard shoulder, you should never sit in your car because uh, there's a oh, yes. very high chance oh, yeah. of getting hit by other cars. Although I've never yeah, seen uh, a truck ploughing into a car on a hard shoulder, but I suppose it must No, happen. I have a friend whose brother got very, I mean, basically crippled. By exactly oh. that happening, it was admittedly in fog, but um, yeah, oh. yes. So it does so, happen. However, at least there is a hard shoulder on some motorways. Um, we haven't yet discussed smart motorways where there is no hard shoulder. Well, I have to say they absolutely terrify me. Indeed. Yep. So, well, uh, on now to uh, news of Netflix, and as you know, Netflix have been hemorrhaging. Uh, viewers or subscriptions, yeah. they lost 200,000 subscriptions in January to March of mm. this year. Um, a $50 billion drop in their market value. And that's despite and the new series of Stranger Things, which is one of the most popular shows. It is, despite that, yeah. So well, they've now teamed up with Microsoft to offer a cheaper subscription with advertising, which is something that they promised they would never do. The whole point about Netflix was it was yes. all the movies you could eat without any advertising. So maybe people will go for that. I don't know. Well, but, it's quite uh, intriguing. I, I signed up for Now TV, which is the, sort of the cheap version of Sky's package mm. a while ago for watching series, and they had no ads at all to begin, and then out of nowhere, suddenly ads have started appearing. Mm, it's not good, is it? And I suppose that the less they make from subscriptions, the more they're going to want to try and find other ways of... I suppose so. Bringing you can in always, revenue. of course, subscribe to things when you need them. So uh, when I watched the series of Sherwood on ITV recently, mm. I think it was £3.50 for a month of ITV+, Plus, which meant I could watch the whole series with no ads, which I think was absolutely I thought, well. Oh, I thought Sherwood, Sherwood was on iPlayer. No, Sherwood was on ITV. Oh, OK. Yes. Gosh, OK, fine. Or maybe I'm thinking of something else that I watched that wasn't Sherwood. 
Sherlock. So you can uh, actually pick them up. You can't with lots of them don't have the ability just to dip in and dip out, which is a shame because that's obviously much easier yes. in some sense. Um, also, the other, as we're as we're talking about subscription, the worst thing is tuning into something that you've been watching that some long running series, which has several um, uh, series still to go, and then sort of finding it's about to leave in ten days or so. I just do binge watching something. Mm. Right? You want to binge watch? I wanted to eke it out, but uh, there's no way of yeah. knowing if you'd ever be able to watch it on another thing. But there are just too many. I mean, few of us can afford to subscribe to all of them. I mean, Apple exactly. TV, for instance, seems to have some wonderful things on, but I, you know, I can't subscribe to yet another one. I can't have yes. time to watch everything that's on anyway. It's a problem. It is a problem. We should just go to the pub instead and just natter inconsequentially. <laughs> exactly, yes. Which, which, of course, we do here. Um, but having it nattered inconsequentially, we need to have one of these, I think. So... Well, we're over to Rice University in the United States, where scientists have been hacking fruit fly brains to make oh, them controllable. Very, sm very small knife to hack a fruit fly brain. Very small knives. Uh, they can now control fruit flies by remote control. How about that? Good gracious. So yes, are good they gracious having fruit indeed. fly races or are they doing something more useful? Well, no, it's quite complicated. First of all, they have to genetically engineer the, each individual fly. Um, to make it express uh, heat-sensitive ion channels in their neurons. And then they inject iron oxide nanoparticles into their brain. And then when they bring a magnetic field close to the fly, they, they spread their wings. Right. Right, yes. Uh, what is the point, I hear you say? Or oh, I, I, I imagine well, you're wondering. I, I, I'm, I'm a... A step away from saying that. I'm just the, the vision of them doing all this is still occupying my mind. It is. Well, they, um, they, the idea is that it's in some way they could uh, then lead this to being able to restore sight to visually impaired people by, I don't know, I don't have to gen genetically engineer the people first, possibly not, but, um, but the fact that they can. And at the same time, bigger... controlling them remotely. Yeah, at the same time, them remotely, remotely, yes. It doesn't sound good for the planet, does it? But who knows? Maybe there'll be benevolent scientists out there who won't build a, a, a team yes. of automated half-blind people. I, I'm sure it makes sense. Yes, I'm sure it makes sense to them. The idea of, of getting from hacking fruit fry brains and brains and being able to control them remotely and then getting to restoring sight to people. And talking of flies... This yes. week, I also read about the Entropomorphia mucai, which is a fungus that right. uh, infects female flies hmm. and, and it kills them. After it's killed them, it releases pheromones to attract males, which then mate with the dead flies and themselves then get infected. And apparently, the longer the female flies are dead, the more attractive they are to the males. It's a bit icky, isn't it? I wasn't going to mention yes. it because there's no gadgets involved, but since we were talking about flies anyway, <laughs> it seems a natural I mean, segue. Oh, I see. So that's not something that anybody's invented or found a practical use oh, no. for. It's just no. one of those yucky things about nature. It's something they've, they've discovered recently about this particular fungus. Okay, well, I'm glad you shared that with us. Um, I thought you let's pause for a moment before we go back to proper text and gadgets. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to Gadgets and Gizmos. He's Steve Kaplan. So what now, Steve? Well, back in March last year, we talked about the C-Seed M1, which you may not remember. C-Seed, letter C, Seed spelled yeah. as a seed, the name of the company, which is, I think, an awful name for a company. But anyway, the C-Seed M1 is a television. And it was a huge television with uh, mm. folded itself out. Right. And uh, it weighed 1,350 kilograms, which is an awful lot for a television. Right. And when you weren't using it, it buried itself in the floor. Oh, and right, it yes. it sold yes. for about half a million dollars. Yes, yes. Um, I've, it appears that the clever people at CC have recognised that even people who have half a million dollars to spare... Uh, might not have a spare room underneath in order to house this television when it wasn't in use. Mm-hmm. So they have come up with not the M1, but the N1, Note the, uh, the subtle difference in the Yes, name, yes, yes. Which is another folding television, and it folds up, uh, and it lies flat. It pivots on its base and rolls over to lie flat on the floor, looking for all the world like an aluminium coffin. It is absolutely <laughs> bizarre. Why and why would you want to do that? Well, because it look it's a work of art, I suppose, and it's in its age. As the uh, chief executive Alexander Swatek put it, we operate at the top end of the high end market, and not surprisingly, it's 102 to 165 inches, corner to corner, starting at 190 thousand dollars, and you can pick one up. Well, you probably can't pick one up because it'll be heavy. Get one delivered (laughs) and possibly even installed um, next year. If you ring by phone, you've got to be very careful about whether you're ordering the M or the N. You absolutely have. (laughs) You might find you have to (laughs) burrow out your floor. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I'll be ordering one anytime soon. Got anything Uh, else I might be interested in? Well, I think, yes, possibly. Um, you're always the yeah, cups of tea. You're very fond of cups of tea, aren't you? I don't oh, know. Yes. A lot of tea. Yes. yes. We've even well, had odd tea gadgets on this show. We have. Well, as water bo- boils, um, the noise you hear from your kettle is that of bubbles forming on the bottom. And the mm. more bubbles, the more efficient the, the boiling process. But the trouble is that if the bottom of your kettle is covered in the bubbles, they all coalesce into a film of vapor. And this slows the transfer of heat because the heat's got to make its way through mm. the, yes. uh, the bubbles in order to get to the water. Well, the team of clever chaps at MIT have come up with the idea of producing a, a surface full of micro-dents, little, little tiny pits, mm. uh, and each one of them anchors a bubble, creating more surface area, but also allowing space between the bubbles for the heat to get through to the water. So it should Much take more less energy. How much more efficient is it going to be? Haven't they told you? They haven't told me yet. Somewhat more efficient. Well, as you know, because we discussed it on this programme, I switched from electric to gas 
kettles. The, yeah. the noise I tend to hear is the lovely whistle. Oh, you've got a whistling kettle. Great for yeah, which yeah. is wonderful. Though it doesn't seem to be whistling quite as loudly as it used to. Um, but that oh, may really? just be me. Maybe I'm maybe my hearing's going and I can't so, hear it as well. well. But it used to be so, yeah, it used to be a more enthusiastic whistle. I can't help feeling he's, he's lost a bit of his oomph. So if your kettle and your milkman both whistle, then when you make your cup of tea in the morning, it must be difficult to know which is which. Well, except the milkman tends to come to about half past three, four in the morning. Oh, okay. That would explain it. You don't, <laughs> so, you don't wake up in the night thinking, who turned the kettle on? Yes, no, I don't. I don't tend to. Okay. But no, I don't think Ian actually does whistle. I've never heard him whistle. Hmm. But then oh, he would well, annoy yeah. his customers and lose them, I'm sure, he, he that time in the morning. Traditionally, traditionally. Yes, milkman whistles. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I told they probably, well, yeah. he's now got, you know, this wonderful whizzy electric van. I mean, they probably, before long, they'll have, they'll have drones delivering it. Oh, that yeah. wouldn't be the same. Whistling, whistling drones. Whistling drones, De- yeah. Delivering your milk. But would they still wear striped aprons? I hope they would. Striped apron? I thought it was butchers. Milkmen wear striped aprons as well? Well, they do in popular fiction. Um, I don't know if they do in real oh, life. Oh, do they? I'll have to go back and watch them. I'm not sure yeah, I can remember them. that. Yes. Yeah. I think Benny Hill wore one when he was on. <laughs> oh, the fastest milkman in the West. That's yes. the trip. I wonder if there's anybody who understands that reference listening to this program. So, you know, about foreign, <laughs> foreign listeners. <laughs> yeah, let's have this. So, a little electronic punctuation mark, where now? Uh, well, Hasbro, as you know, they make toys. They make toy uh, action figures. Mm-hmm. And uh, they make things like Ghostbuster figures and Power Ranger figures and even G.I. Joe, which I understand mm-hmm. is the American version of Action Man. And um, if you were living in the States, which you're not, then as of the end of this year, you'd be able to get your own face 3D printed onto one of these figures. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yes. You would download their app and you would then pay them $60 for a six-inch figure with your face on it, which I think is rather cute. And if you have your child, you really wanted to spoil for... Yes, yes, absolutely. What a good thing to do. Yes. Now, was uh, G.I. Joe an American version of Action Man or was Action Man a British version of G.I. Joe? Oh, to answer this now, we can go away and look it up. But I think it's a very important question. It is a very I suspect, important question. I suspect the American one was first. I will, um, I will report back next week and let you know Thank exactly you. what I, the I case look, is. I will look forward to hearing about that. Uh, okay. Meanwhile, should we go on to our crowdfunding time of the week? I we certainly we can. Here we go. And this is the Mykonos, M-Y-C-O-N-O-S, the Mykonos, which is a levitating firestone. Oh, hang on, last, oh, time, we had, last time we had a magic wand to turn lights on and off. Yes. Now we've got a levitating firestone. We've got a levitating firestone. So here's what it is. It's a base made of marble. Hmm. The base is maybe 15 centimetres um, in diameter. They're about, see, about four inches for people hmm. like you. Hmm. Hovering above it, held in place magnetically is a little two-inch lump of irregularly shaped marble Yes, um, that you you place uh, onto the thing and you give it a little little knock and it spins. Yeah. As it spins, a, uh, a little nozzle in the base fires bioethanol at it and then a spark ignites it. The result being a flaming stone 
hovering in midair over over a marble base. It's very That's, exciting. Does sound quite impressive. Yeah, it looks well, really, how really cute. Safe it is. They, well, they, they say it's completely right. safe. They, right. you no, you probably can't. If you if you knock it, it can't fall anywhere other than back into the middle. Right. And if you knock it off the base entirely, then it knows that it's been knocked off, so the bioethanol stops squirting. And, well, that does uh, sound quite good fun, out. but how much does one have to spring for that? Well, they're not cheap. 179 euros, which is a little over 150 quid. Also burns with a green flame. So that's pretty good, isn't it? Mm. It's bioethanol, so it has to be green. Yes, but, I suppose so. Yes, you, you were quoting in inches for me so because you know, people like you but you know yes. I mean I, I use Fahrenheit but of course in the recent hot weather of course suddenly everybody switches to Fahrenheit because they want to say it's over 100 because it sounds no, a lot nobody switches to Fahrenheit they all say it's all over 40 the newspapers, all the newspapers did well all, the newspapers you sure. read perhaps <laughs> yes. I still can't get exactly. I read more up-to-date newspapers anyway it's called Mykonos it's on Kickstarter and if you like the sound of it you have until the 6th of August to go and uh, plonk down your 139 euros or just to check it out because it is a very very cute looking thing oh so there is a video proving it works oh yes there are several it definitely works definitely works okay. yes I've you're tempted videos. aren't you you're not going to do it but you're tempted. i am tempted but it's just a bit too much for uh i don't know how much i would expect to expect a levitating firestone to cost <laughs> but a little <laughs> bit less than that i'm sure there'll be a cheap chinese knockoff before very long Yes, from what was that Banggood or something? Is that Banggood, Chinese exactly. version? Yes, yes. Okay, well, let's move on then. Okay, we have had um, news, of course, of Elon Musk and his really boring company trying to produce this underground freight delivery system mm. in, in California at vast expense. Meanwhile, Switzerland is already going ahead with its cargo souterrain. Oh. which is uh, it's an underground autonomous freight tunnels. They won't be vacuum sealed like Elon Musk's. Mm. Um, the vacuum sealing enables the, the cargo to travel very much faster. Uh, this will only go at about 30 miles an hour is the, is the maximum. Uh, they reckon that they will be able to connect the whole country subterraneously by 2045. But by 2031, just nine years ago, they will put in the first 70-kilometre stretch from Zurich to Heckingen-Niederbib. Heckingen-Niederbib being, I don't know why they chose that place, but it's a place that obviously requires regular deliveries uh, from Zurich, or perhaps oh. the other way around. How intriguing. Hmm. Um, three billion uh, Swiss francs it will cost, um, entirely privately funded. So uh, no no government money going into it, although you know all kinds of permissions and things will be given to people to encourage them to to build it. But and it's, if it's, it's not sealed, of course, it makes more sense because if you seal it, of course, then there's all that business with unsealing it to get the things out at the other end. Whereas this presumably just trundles up a ramp, and it's there. Well, you just need an airlock at each end. That's for sealing, the sealing is not a big problem. But of course, you know, pumping the I, air. I, I'm I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but Brunel did build a, a, I think it was called an atmospheric railway somewhere down near Exmouth I think because it's still bits of it still exists when you go and that was a um, basically a pneumatic um, railway a little like those whizzy things that used to have in department stores for yes. moving um, money around and the problem was that rats developed a taste for the sealant and so ah, it kept losing gosh. air pressure 
just one of those ah. bizarre things that I once picked up along the along the way. And what did he send along his underground? Oh, those were for trains. They were for trains. Oh, right. Yes, they were for trains oh. pushed yeah. by by the atmosphere. Talking of underground trains, I went on the new uh, Elizabeth Line in London uh, the other day. Yes. Very Admirable. pretty, it is. Too. It is, it is. Yes, yes, Have you been up to look at some of the uh, the stations? I uh, have been up to look at the Eastern Tottenham end. Court Road station where I got on, and um, sometime beginning with W, uh, Woolwich, where I got off. Oh, Woolwich was, Woolwich was very nice. The stop beyond that, the very last one, is worth looking at as well. Some of the design is absolutely superb. But I saw an article in a newspaper, um, Councillors, Gadgets and Gizmos, I suppose, because they are quite impressive trains. They are impressive gadgets, yes. wide platforms. But apparently people are falling down the escalators. They're spending so long looking at this wonderful architecture, uh, paying attention to what they're doing. Well, they are very, very deep. I mean, the escalators that, that I went on are easily twice as long as the uh, the standard yes. ones that you get in tube stations. Or most as places. indeed are the trains. As indeed are the trains. Why are they so long? Are they expecting that many people to go on them? I don't know. I no, do the, not the, know. But they the, are very the impressive. But some huge. of the design of the stations is absolutely wonderful. I thought Woolwich was a good one. I still haven't finished. I must go to Farringdon where they have a funicular escalator, apparently, or some sort of funicular oh. lift. So oh, that so, would yes, be nice. I'd like a bit of yes, funicular. We shall explore together sometime. Funicular. We shall explore more gadgets and gizmos, though, at the same time next week. That's it for this week from Steve Kaplan and myself, Simon Rose. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose.